millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What's up, everyone? And welcome to The Reluctant Historian. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson, and this is our Reluctant Historian, Dakota Lawson. On this podcast, I'll tell him a story from history, and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So, if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. On today's shorty episode, Dakota, we are going to be, well, you wanted something dark, so I tried to find something dark for you. Okay, so, <laughs> that's what I asked. I said, uh, I want something dark. I want some dark. <laughs> On today's episode, we will be talking about the history of the New England Vampire Panic of the 18th century. Vampires are real? <laughs> yes. What? Yes. Are they are they true blood vampires? Real vampires? I don't or... know what true blood vampires. Oh, they have to like they don't like feast on humans they have they drink this formula called true blood and it's like a drink they do to subside the hunger for human blood it's a good show anyways (laughs) um okay i'm i'm intrigued yeah so sit down buckle up and get ready to listen to the history of the vampire panic of new england of the 18th century recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. All right, Dakota, you're on for new news. Yes, and I just realized that about 15 seconds ago. (laughs) Oh, we don't have to do it. No, no, I I got one. I got one. I I was like, that's why I grabbed my phone because I'm like, shit, I better, uh, I feel like I'm in high school again having to like come up with something really quick. Uh, So we just talked about this, which was uh, just heard on the radio today. And I think this was talking about Canada just in general, but um, that uh, COVID is on the rise a little bit again. And 90% 90% of people that are getting it now are either people who aren't vaccinated or are only have their first dose. And 100% of people that are dying don't have, aren't vaccinated. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, vaccines save lives. We've talked about that lots on many different episodes in this podcast. Like we've talked about diphtheria, we've talked about smallpox, we've talked about the Spanish flu. There was no vaccine for the Spanish flu, so... But <laughs> we did talk about how vaccines save lives. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I've heard, I've been reading lots about um, a breakthrough infections, and I found it interesting that um, one scientist that I was reading, he said that the vaccine that we created doesn't get rid of the vaccine. It just um, stops us from having adverse reactions, like severe COVID symptoms. Sorry, the vaccine doesn't get rid of 
the yeah, it doesn't virus, pre- you mean? Right. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't prevent us from spreading it because it's built. To, it, we, we it's created in our nose droplets or something like that. Oh, okay. Uh, but so the vaccine that we created doesn't like stop that from happening. It just mm-hmm. prevents us from having severe illness. Um, so we're gonna have still lots of breakthrough infections, but we're not going to have a severe. Um, or as severe of an illness if we were to get it. But that doesn't account for what could happen with like long, long-term long COVID, which affects 10 to 30% of people, um, even if they have mild symptoms. So anyways, where I was going with this is that uh, I really do think that, well, one, we should all get vaccinated, but two, we might probably just have to live with COVID. Um, right, you were saying that the other yeah, day. Yeah, because... The only disease that human beings have ever eradicated was smallpox. Like, we were, we have made diphtheria go away. We have made, like, not go away, but, like, it's not killing people at the rate that it was before. Um, but we still have to live with these diseases. And right. the vaccines will, like, help stop or stop getting those diseases. But we haven't gotten rid of diphtheria. You can still catch it. So, anyways, I, that's kind of off not what you were talking about but well no no i appreciate that because i literally that's all i had i was like i was just a very unprepared student that was like i just heard this on the radio here you go <laughs> so <laughs> so just so like basically for, all of my students yeah so thanks for padding for time <laughs> got you i got you fam uh what's your golden nugget uh yeah my golden nugget was that i just uh i i am back in the gym as it were i went to the gym for the first day, time in like I feel like it's been like three weeks now because mm-hmm. uh, I've been so busy just working and stuff. And then we were we were we were gone last week. Um, and then yeah, I just uh, it felt felt good to be to be back, getting you know swole. You know, you're so swole. I'm uh, thank you. So yeah, it was just a, it, it felt good to um, you know go and do something for my 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 temple of a body. <laughs> oh. I'm saying that with extreme sarcasm, just so you know. I, I, I stuff myself with terrible food, so which isn't a bad thing. You I know, I know, like- I know. I'm just saying. I want the uh, listeners to know that I, I don't <laughs> think of myself as uh, this uh, beefy beefcake. You know, when I say it, it's always tongue in cheek. Got it. So, what is your golden nugget? Um, I think that. My golden nugget is that we've just been able to hang out with so many people lately. Mm, yeah. Um, we went to the Fringe on Thursday. Uh, we are going to Taste of Saskatchewan. We are doing the X. We are going to Shakespeare in Saskatchewan. Um, we've seen a lot of friends lately. We're hosting our local mixer. Yes, we're having a local mixer. Um, <laughs> this, just... And also, if you're listening and you're not invited, then this is awkward. <laughs> No, it's just for a, a group group of my friends. Uh, so if you're one of uh, Liz's crew, then, uh, well. Geez. Guess you got to become friends with Coda. I guess you got to become friends with me. And uh, yeah, so we're, uh, uh, yeah, we've been able to do a lot. And uh, it's just, unfortunately, I, <laughs> it kind of sucks that uh, all the events of Saskatoon are packed into one week uh, this, this year. But it's, you know, because there's just like, so much to do this week but it would have been nice if it was spread out but i understand why it wasn't so um yeah it's just cool to be able to go out and i mean we went to the fringe which for those of you who don't know that's a it's a play festival um that they've got uh, in our city and we went to see some uh our friend joel do some poetry who does our theme song for it this is a, podcast yeah and he also um does a does a mean poetry slam he does so 
He yeah. slams that poetry. He slams it. Just beats the shit out of it. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Where's my money? And he beats the poetry. That's true. Yeah. How it goes. <laughs> yeah. I've spoken previously about how the story of humanity is also the story of disease. And one of the most famous diseases is called consumption. I thought you were going to say vampirism. I'm like, what? (laughs) Or as we know it, tuberculosis. Tuberculosis is a contagious and infectious disease that usually lasts throughout one's life and causes the formation of tubercles in the lungs, which are literally small tubers, um, meaning lump in Latin. Uh, Tubercles are nodules that grow in external or internal organs. So these little lumps grow in your lungs and you die because it's crushing your lungs, essentially. Oh, God. Is this something we have to deal with? No, because we have vaccines. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's nice. I was like, first I find out vampires are real, and then I have to get these things on my lungs. And No, we have vaccines. Thank God. <laughs> During the 1800s, tuberculosis killed one out of every seven people living in the United States and Europe. Wow. Those odds. That's a, that's a lot. That sucks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The disease... You, sorry, you've just got... you. <laughs> You know, you've got just seven friends, or six, sorry, six friends and yourself, and you're like, fuck, which one of this is it going to be? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. The disease, however, which is caused by the bacteria Myobacterium tuberculosis, is estimated to have been around for as long as three million years. Holy. So now, because this is a shorty episode, I didn't go into it that, that deeply, but cool fact. Yeah, that is cool. It's been known by a variety of names, such as Phthisis in ancient Greece, Tabes in ancient Roman and Shaphathath. I did not say those names correctly, ah, so listeners, you can I figure see, that I out. I see you've got a case of that. <laughs> in ancient Hebrew. Later, it became known as the White Plague due to the fact that those who were infected were known to be incredibly pale. Oh, I was like, it's just killing all the whites. <laughs> It was also known as the wasting disease, as those who were afflicted with it were essentially wasting away to nothing, losing their health and vitality to the disease. So you might be thinking, what does this have to do with vampires? Well, Dakota, I will get there. Hmm. It, okay, um, here's my prediction. It morphed, much like the COVID, you know, the variants, the, the var- one of the variants of tuberculosis is vampirism. That's true. Yeah. So this brings us to the specific story that I would like to talk about. In the late 1800s, a bout of tuberculosis, or consumption as it was known back in the day, struck Connecticut... Connecticut? Connecticut? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) You you got it. (laughs) Struck Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Vermont. So New England. At the time, most people didn't know what was happening to those who were afflicted with the disease, which caused its victims to look sunken, pale, and drained. Throughout the 19th century, tuberculosis was the most deadly disease in the world, causing about 25% of all deaths among the population. Oh, wow. Throughout much, of this, yeah. Throughout much of this century, doctors were aware that the infection was airborne and spread mostly through coughing, so there was little to be done once somebody fell ill. Some treatments for this disease included regular bloodletting, purgatives, healthy diets and exercise such as vigorous horseback riding, opiates, and killing <laughs> vampires. What? <laughs> yes, I said killing vampires, but I'll get to that. Okay, wait, the, sorry, these are the... Uh, these are the c- cures for consumption. <laughs> or the treatments, I guess, they didn't. They couldn't sorry, cure it. Sorry, for consumption or tuberculosis? Consumption is the name for tuberculosis. Oh, that's okay, what, okay. That's what they were I, calling it back in the day. Okay, so um, we'll just call it the, the, the turb. Okay, <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, there's uh, the, the top two cures to cure the turb. Ride your horse... 
kill a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Wow. Very opposite ends of the spectrum. Absolutely. And also, I'm just like curious. Like, I get like exercise and stuff like that to like, you know, benefit you health wise, but it's like, no, specifically ride your horse. I know. I thought that was interesting too. Yeah. <laughs> Outbreaks of the deadly disease were sweeping through New England in the 19th century, and the locals, not having much in the way of a scientific education, were scared. In a matter of weeks, an entire family could be wiped out due to the deadly disease. The wasting illness or consumption is unforgiving, preying on the young and old equally, turning healthy people into walking corpses with sunken eyes and ashy skin. Doctors at the time were quick to point out that these symptoms were merely a physical affliction caused by the disease— However, local townspeople were unconvinced that there was a scientific answer to what was happening and took to their own devices to try and solve the mysterious illness in their own way. So I'm going to connect this to nowadays because we learned last week that you like having connections. So Mm. reading this, it makes me think a lot of actually COVID and how people are like, no, science is wrong. Masks (laughs) are bad and vaccines will cause infertility. I'm going to listen to my Facebook messages and (laughs) my memes. I was like, yeah. So the way that we behave now, the way that people behave now, mm-hmm. is uh, hasn't really changed since the 18th century. We just have yeah, different I mean, diseases I, that we're I, confused I, by. I recently read on the Facebook that uh, to cure COVID, you have to ride your horse. So yeah, yeah. I mean, not a lot has changed. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the townspeople were like, "No, science is wrong. Uh, we know better how to fix this disease." And this included the belief that those who were afflicted with the disease were actually being visited by a vampire who was draining the life force from its victims, leaving them with the pale and sunken look that is known to be indicative of tuberculosis. For years to come, New England would become known as the vampire capital of America. So wait, I'm confused. These people just, they looked like they were sickly, like they were vampires? Yeah. That's what they thought? So some of the... I guess, markers of having tuberculosis, you would be really pale. Um, Sometimes your chest cavity would sink in because you'd have Uh ulcers in your chest cavity and it would just like have nowhere to go. You'd be really pale. I think I already said that. So so the cure to this was to kill other people with the disease. (laughs) Ah, not yet. No? No. Wait till you hear what about vampires are. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But you're on the right track. Okay. Kill the vampires that are causing people to get sick is what the idea was. Oh, So the spreaders. Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. Europe, too, was going through a similar vampire panic. (laughs) Europe, too. I've I've only heard of Europe, one. (laughs) Europe also was going through a similar vampire panic at the time, as vampires or spirits who suck the life from the living are actually a very common tale across many cultures over many different time periods. They all just take different forms and ways of sucking one's life. So newspapers at the time were also a large factor in the growing vampire panic. So they're hearing these things from Europe, that there's vampire panics happening over there. The newspapers are reporting on them. Um, and then also at local taverns, where rural folk could come together to talk about what was happening in their neck of the woods, was also a spreader of this vampire panic. So they were like, yo, I heard Bobby over there was a vampire, and they would talk about it at the tavern. <laughs> Uh, hello, uh, town folk. I hear Bobby over there was a uh, vampire. Let's go ride our horses over there and kill him. <laughs> In the newspapers, however, there were a number of stories published about the vampires that stalked the New England countryside. In September 1884, the St. Charles Herald published a front-page story on vampire attack reports, sharing details on rituals being conducted in different corners of the world 
in order to try and stop the vampires. The publication, it should be noted, wasn't suggesting that people in New England should do the same, but it is likely that reading about the stoppage of the vampire attacks in Europe influenced what happened in New England. Was this the origin of Fox News? These, uh, this, this tabloid? Could be. Just like, because <laughs> this sounds like some Fox News shit right here. <laughs> For the panicked citizens of New England, they believed that something more sinister was afoot, and finding a way to protect the survivors became almost an obsession. The bodies of suspected vampires were exhumed and examined, looking for clues that the corpse was actually undead. So they didn't kill living people, they dug up dead people and were like, are you a vampire? Are you a vampire? (laughs) And they didn't do anything because they were dead. (laughs) Well, they thought they were undead. So they looked for signs to prove that they were undead. The most common sign of this was that a body would look fresh when it was dug up, not decomposed as one would expect a body to be. And what, the the, the dead body was just playing dead? Because <laughs> I'm assuming that the vampire didn't, vampire in quotes, didn't just all of a sudden like get dug up and then spring to life and try to kill them. Yeah. They just continued to lay there being dead. <laughs> yeah. So some people pointed to the fact that the hair and nails looked like they were growing, um, that they were longer than when the person put them into the, or when the person was put into the, the, the grave. Um, and they also found corpses with blood in their mouths. An even more clear indication of proof that the person was a vampire was that the heart of the corpse itself contained blood after death. Okay. So these signs are actually natural and normal parts of decomposition in the human body. Yeah. The body will go through a natural dehydrating process, which causes the skin to shrink back, thus making the nails and hair look longer. Second, when a body decomposes, gases will build up in the chest and stomach cavity, causing the liquefied organs to push themselves through any hole they can find, mouth included. So when people began exhuming the bodies of suspected vampires, the proof that they found was actually just normal decomposition. And because they had no science education, they were like, long nails, it's alive. But at the time, even though they didn't have the science education, was their science backing all of this? Well, this was, what, 1800s, you said? Yeah, so like late 1880s. Okay, so... Yeah, so there were doctors being like, guys, like stop this yeah. is normal and does this did this happen to everybody or, or is this just um like everybody that dies is this a uh thing that would always happen or is it just like sometimes they'd find a vampire and sometimes they wouldn't or yeah so from what i can understand from the research is that if the body that they dug up looked fresh and like hadn't like decomposed mm-hmm. they would be like oh that but like that body obviously is alive it's getting blood from somewhere else but if the body was like skeletons and yeah. flesh melting off of them they'd be like that one's of not a vampire right <laughs> So it's like really, if you're digging up a fresh corpse, they're like, "Yo, vampire!" If they're digging yeah. up an old, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, okay, so yeah, they just don't understand that you know things take time to decompose. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like you put it in the in the ground and all of a sudden, oh, skin a skeleton now. <laughs> yeah, and also too, like they weren't really aware of how like temperature would affect bodies. So mm-hmm. people who were dug up, like buried in like January or February, and then dug up like a little bit later, maybe June or not right. even June, like maybe like March or April, they'd be like oh, it looks really fresh because the cold ground is preserving it. Right, right. So they just didn't understand that. Right. Yeah. Because they're just sample town folk. Yes. When the exhumation started, they were clandestine affairs conducted by neighbors and family members. What? Clandestine? Like secret. That's not a word. Why don't you just say secret? Because clandestine sounds like so much better. You know I don't know big words. (laughs) 
However, it became more widespread. Like, start again, but replace the clandestine with secret. When the exhumations started, they were secret affairs conducted by neighbors and family members. However, it became more widespread so that many town fathers and clergymen eventually would vote on whether a certain person should be exhumed. Once a vampire was identified, there were many different ways to deal with the undead and to prevent its return. In many towns, certain organs, especially the heart, were removed and burned before the body was reburied. In other places, family members would eat the ashes of the burnt organ as a remedy for their own illness. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like the right cure. (laughs) (laughs) While others would inhale the smoke as the organs burned. (laughs) Just like, you want a hit of this? (laughs) Some towns beheaded corpses or simply turned them face down to confuse the undead and make sure he or she wouldn't find their way out of the grave. (laughs) Vampire wakes up. What the hell? I can't. <laughs> just tries digging, but it just keeps on going d- further and further down. I can't, I can't get out! I can't get out! They fooled me! So let's talk now about a specific case study, the story of Mercy Brown. Sorry, I just gotta go back to that for a minute. Like, I'm just picturing them flipping the body around and, like, then them just going, got him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mercy Brown, go ahead. Yeah. This case was part of the wave of consumption that was sweeping through New England in the late 1880s and took place in the town of Exeter, Rhode Island. Here, several members of the Brown family were falling ill with a mysterious disease, making them waste away, growing increasingly thin and weak. The first person to die was the mother of the family, Mary Eliza, in 1883, followed by the eldest daughter, Mary Olive, six months later. Then, in 1891... Fourth of George Brown, the father's remaining children, caught the disease, his daughter Mercy and his son Edwin. In an attempt to save the boy, his father sent him away to the mountain airs of Colorado Springs for 18 months. However, this attempt at a cure did little to help, and Edwin returned in March 1892 in poorer health, coughing up blood. While Edwin was away, his sister Mercy died in January 1892. As we know, tuberculosis was a common killer for the people in the 18th and 19th centuries, and it was passed easily between people in close quarters, which is why it tended to sweep through entire families like the Browns. However, while it was a common disease, it was poorly understood as to what caused it or how it was spread. Doctors in Exeter were unable to explain the wave of sickness washing over George Brown's family, but relatives and friends thought that they knew where they could find the cause. In the grave. (gasps) Residents of the community turned to superstition and the supernatural in a desperate attempt to save Edwin's life. These members believed that one of Edwin's family members was a member of the undead, caught between heaven and hell and sucking the life out of him from beyond the grave. This meant that the only cure for Edwin would be to put the vampire out of its misery. George Brown reluctantly agreed to allow the community to exhume the bodies of his wife and daughters, although he originally thought the idea of a vampire was ridiculous. (laughs) He should have stuck with that one. (laughs) His relatives, neighbors, a doctor, and a journalist all visited the family plot in the town's Chestnut Hill Cemetery on March 17, 1892. So remember, Mercy's boar was buried in January, and they're going to the graveyard in March. Ah, and she's a vampire at this point, clearly. Well, they're not sure yet. At this point, they're like, one of these women is a vampire. Let's dig them up and find (laughs) out which one it is. In the small graveyard... They exhumed the bodies of Mary Eliza Brown and Mary Olive Brown. They opened the caskets and, as they expected, found only their bones inside, which makes sense because they died in 1883 and they're digging up these bodies in 1892. So, like, 10 years have passed since this. Um, The townspeople then turned their attention to the grave of Mercy Brown, who had died just eight weeks earlier. (laughs) 
Accounts differ as to whether Mercy's body had already been buried or if it rested in a crypt until the ground could thaw and undertakers could dig a grave. However... The undertaker, like the wrestler? (laughs) I gotta dig this grave. I don't know how the undertaker uh, talks, but, you know... (laughs) Uh-huh. However, when they opened the coffin, they found Mercy's body on her side. Her face appeared flush, so it like had a blush, it was like red and stuff, and the corpse exhibited almost no signs of decomposition. Finally, there was still blood in her heart and her veins. And now we already know that blood having blood in one's heart after death is a normal sign of decomposition, and in fact, Dr. Harold Metcalf, the doctor that was there with them, assured everyone there that the lack of decomposition of Mercy's body was perfectly consistent with the fact that she had been dead for less than 10 months and it was winter. Get your science out of here, okay? We know a vampire when we see a vampire. Exactly. (laughs) However, knowing that medicine and science had done nothing to save the lives of the Brown family, the people of Exeter took the state of her remains as a sign that Mercy was leaving her grave at night to suck the life from her brother Edwin. They gathered firewood and kindled a bonfire on a pile of nearby rocks, and then they cut out Mercy's heart and lungs and cremated them on the pyre. And then they smoked them. They then returned to Edwin Brown's house and mixed the ashes of his dead sister's heart with water and got him to consume this elixir. (laughs) Okay, well, that seems worse. (laughs) He died two months later on May 2nd, 1892, but the illness died with him, and no other family members or close neighbors contracted the disease. To the locals, that meant that the treatment had worked. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Okay. This was not the first time that the people of Exeter had tried this remedy. In fact, author Diana Ross McCain reports that there were 18 documented instances of the exhumation of family members in suspected vampire cases throughout New England in the 18th and 19th centuries. And that's only the documented cases, because we talked about how sometimes they did it in secret. However, the case of Mercy Brown was the last. Rumor goes that Bram Stoker, the author of the infamous novel Dracula, was inspired by the case after reading about it in the newspaper. As you know, there was a journalist there who was with the townsfolk who dug up Mercy's body. Question. So wait, so the exist the thought of like vampires as a concept, is this where it or- originated? Dracula. No. But- vampires, the thought of vampires as a concept have actually been around since like essentially since humans have begun being humans. I wonder why. I don't know. Maybe there are vampires and we just have this story in our Maybe. Psyche as humans, but... Maybe. Yeah. Uh, One of Dracula's most fascinating characters is Lucy Westernera, a teenage girl who succumbs to Count Dracula and is eventually exhumed from her crypt and killed with a stake through her heart. There are some similarities for sure, but whether or not Mercy was the inspiration, we'll never know. Mercy Brown's body now rests in the Chestnut Hill Cemetery after the townspeople reburied her heartless body surrounded by her family. She now rests under a weathered tombstone that one can still see today. So, Dakota, what do you think? Well, first, I want to say that I thought of a movie idea. <laughs> Perfect. A uh, vampire movie. It's called, uh, it's a It's a sort of a parody, I guess you could call it, or a remake, whatever. It's called Vampire Records, okay? okay. It's, a, it's a remake of vampire Empire Records. Records. Mm-hmm. That's all I got. They're just vampires in it, though. Great, love it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Yes, copyright. Um, I really enjoyed this. I think i really like stories that where people are just fucking idiots <laughs> like i like disturbing stuff and uh oh sorry sorry i also gotta say um what a disturbing story 
how punny. Anyways, it was very, I like really disturbing stuff and I like stupid people because then I can make fun of them. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's just great content, That's you know, fair. all That's around. Uh, great jokes to be, to, be, to be made. Let me think here. You know what? I'm just going to go with, I'm going to go with an 8.6. What? Vampire records out of 10. Fuck you. <laughs> Sorry. I <laughs> You were having so much fun in this episode. You were like into it. You were like, but that's last week when you were like silent, you gave me an 8.5. Did and I? The, yeah, no, and the, I didn't. Did I? On the thalidomide babies? Yeah, you gave me an 8.5. And this one, you're giving me an 8.6. Like, I cannot. Okay, okay, with okay, you. okay, okay. 8.9. But I, I can't fully bring myself to bring it to a 9, and I don't entirely know why. But. I thought it was really interesting. I'll give you an 8.9 since you freaking, you know, just, uh. Had a conniption. Had a conniption over there. Uh, did I give you an 8.5 on thalidomide babies? Yes. Huh. I keep very close track records of how I'm doing. That seems weird because I enjoyed this a lot more. Yes, that's why I was like, how Do I lower you- that rating then? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I honestly. Uh, no, I gave it a 7.5, didn't I? I think you gave it an 8.5. Well, that's 7.5. Uh, so yes, I really enjoyed this. I, I like the disturbing, d- disturbing aspect of it. And, uh, yeah, just a romping good time. And I, I, I just can't believe that people thought this was a real thing and, the amount of cures in quotations that they had for it and that they were going to trick the vampires like like did they think these vampires were just fucking stupid i guess so but what i think is interesting is that you know this was 1880s in 200 years from now people are going to look back on how we dealt with the covid pandemic and be like man they were some fucking stupid people just like we're looking back on these vampire believers and being like, man, those are some fucking stupid people. And like, there's literally a scientist doctor standing right beside them being like, guys, this is normal for what a body should look like in the grave. And they're like, no. To be fair, we're currently in this time, this present time. And we think that a lot of the people are freaking stupid. Truth. Truth. (laughs) So yeah, I guess, uh, humanity, there will always be those that think they know better than scientists. Exactly. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please download our podcast from Apple, Spotify, or Google, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also leave us a review or tell your friends about us. And if you want to stay in contact or see behind-the-scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian. Or if you want to shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted, you can email us at TheReluctantHistorian at gmail.com. So, we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. And don't forget to ride your horse and kill those motherfucking vampires. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.